When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This morning, New Year's Eve fireworks without the fanfare, Sydney's iconic celebration, becomes a TV-only event as the Harbour Foreshore is shut down. Frontline workers that were promised front-row seats will now watch on from home. Northern Beaches residents will get a 24-hour respite while the rest of Sydney navigates New Year's Eve under COVID-safe arrangements and Barretts has all the details. It's one of Sydney's busiest nights of the year, but this New Year's Eve will be very different. In Greater Sydney, the Central Coast and Wollongong, residents will only be allowed up to 10 people in their home to celebrate. Now, that includes children under 12. Outdoor gatherings will also now be capped at 50 people rather than 100. A green zone has been established around Sydney's popular harbour vantage points, including Circular Quay, the North Sydney foreshore and the city. People won't be able to enter the green zone after 5pm on New Year's Eve without a pass from Service New South Wales, even if they are a resident. You can apply for New Year's Eve pass if you live in the green zone or if you've received a registration code from the venue or residence you're attending. Now, the northern beaches remain split, with the northern part of the peninsula allowed up to five guests for New Year's Eve, including children, as long as they are from the same zone. And the lockdown of the area has been extended until January 9th. In the southern northern beaches zone, residents can have up to 10 visitors from the same zone, including children, for New Year's Eve. And the lockdown has been extended until the 2nd of January. Here's Eddie. Thanks, Barrett. Joining me now for more on the New Year's Eve restrictions is New South Wales Police Minister David Elliott. Good morning to you, Minister. Lots ahead for you today, so thank you for joining us. Disappointing news for many. Why are these rules needed in New South Wales? Well, New Year's Eve will, of course, uh, draw a lot of crowds, and uh, although I think most Australians, particularly Sydney-siders, have been compliant, uh, there have been situations where they haven't. And I can confirm right now that the, all 12 of the people that attended that Piermont wedding the other day have now been fined. And what we saw at Bronte Beach and at Hillsong over the last couple of days has, uh, has made it very, very clear to me that we need as many regulations as possible to, steep, to keep people from uh, breaching these public health orders. How on earth are you organising this? Only a few days to go before New Year's. How many police are you going to have out? How are they going to be enforcing people sort of even picnicking on the harbour foreshore? Well, the police operation orders um, will be drafted today after we've seen the final public health orders. And, uh, uh, but it's a robust organisation. New South Wales Police can respond to any operation immediately. So um, I'm not concerned about their ability to prepare for this, um, uh, this operation. But they will issue infringement notices. I mean, at the moment, they are using a lot of discretion. 
Uh, and, and I welcome that. I think that's good. I think that shows that the police um, don't necessarily want to use this as some sort of big stick, um, but they will, they will issue infringement notices if needs be. And, and we have to just remind people that some of those examples that we've seen recently um, are unacceptable. Uh, and this isn't for the, uh, uh, for the benefit of anybody but the people of New South Wales. These regulations aren't, aren't there to, to, uh, as a punitive measure. They're not there to, 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 to introduce a, uh, some sort of police state. They're there to stop you from getting COVID-19. Uh, and what we need to do is lock down this, this current cluster as quickly as possible so that we can get on with our lives. Do you think it creates a bit of a class divide in Sydney where people who live on the harbour or, you know, perhaps have a boat or can afford to go to a restaurant get to enjoy New Year's Eve and the rest of us don't? Well, watching TV is free, so you can always watch it on television. Let's face it, whether it be the fireworks or sporting events, it's always you do get a better um, view from, from your television. I'll be watching it from my television at home this year. Um, but, uh, I mean, you know, that's, the, that's what you get when you pay for top dollar in real estate and live on the harbour. I, I'm not going to begrudge anybody their ability to, to buy a nice house. Well, tough task ahead for police over New Year's Eve. Police Minister David Elliott, thank you for your time this morning. So let's go live to 7 News reporter Marley Hogan now on Sydney's northern beaches. And Marley, it'll be a quiet welcome to the new year there. Eddie, it will, but I'm sure people will be looking forward to finding a small way to say goodbye to what has been such an awful year for so many people. The seven-minute firework display will still go ahead, but you won't be able to watch from any of the usual vantage points. Instead, you'll have to watch from home. And those people that are doing that or celebrating in a small group, the Premier and the Chief Health Officer don't want those groups mixing. They have asked people not to mingle, not to sing, not to dance, and of course, not to hug and kiss. We have heard the Chief Health Officer before saying that dancing and singing, kissing and hugging is some of the most risky things we can be doing during this pandemic and all these restrictions are in place to try and stop a super spreading event. Here on the Northern Beaches they will celebrate the New Year period with the strictest measures in the country. They can see a few people from their own zone but those they will not be able to leave the Northern Beaches and if people do try to do that police are reminding uh, the public that they will be fined. Some Northern Beaches residents have already copped a $1,000 fine. Uh, 11 will be fined after attending a wedding at Dalton House on Sunday. Uh, another 11 people were also fined after they attended a North Bondi party. And a Northern Beaches woman from Collaroy was fined um, on Christmas Eve after she headed to Bly Park. Now, New South Wales Health have also updated their list of venues this morning uh, where people may have been potentially exposed to the virus. Some of those places include David Jones in the city, as well as Uniqlo and Woolworths in Bondi. The full list is on the New South Wales Health website. Eddie? Thank you, Marley. Yeah, worth checking that out because it is getting updated each and every day. More Queenslanders are holidaying at home with border delays turning them off travelling interstate. Let's go live to 7 News reporter Tamara Bow at the Queensland-New South Wales border. Tamara, it's a surprise upside to these tough border rules. It is, Angie. Another wave of Sydney cancellations really had an enormous impact on Queensland's struggling tourism industry. But the prospect that Queenslanders are choosing to holiday at home over the Christmas period, well, that really has softened the blow this time round because those lengthy delays that we see at these border checkpoints every single day, that is a major turnoff for Queenslanders looking to return home at any stage, as well as the prospect that locations across the border can turn into COVID hotspots at any given time. Uh, of course, uh, this has seen a major boost in the 
drive market here in the Sunshine State from the Gold Coast right the way through to Rockhampton, places that are within driving distance of the Gold Coast and Brisbane have seen a spike in last minute overnight bookings as well as those day trips. At any given time in previous years, anywhere up to 60% of accommodation bookings have normally been taken up by interstate and international visitors. But this year, it's a completely different story. 90% of those accommodation bookings have been snapped up by Queenslanders. Uh, obviously, Sydney siders will be locked out of Queensland at least until January 8. We're obviously waiting to hear verification on that reopening date too. But another opening date that locals here at the border are looking forward to, Angie, we are hearing that that border checkpoint, a fourth one here in Coolangatta, will open today, if not tomorrow. Something certainly to look forward to. Thank you, Tamara. Greg Norman's been back in hospital, confirming he has now returned a positive coronavirus test. The shark posted this on social media, saying he was getting an antibody infusion in a Florida hospital. Telling followers, I'm fit and strong and have a high tolerance for pain, but this virus kicked the crap out of me like nothing I've ever experienced before. The 65-year-old described fever, fatigued muscles, loss of taste and even a struggle with his memory. The UK health system is under growing pressure as hospitals struggle to cope with surging COVID cases. Infections are heading towards similar levels to April at the height of the pandemic. Paramedics in London are receiving almost 8,000 call-outs a day, with Boxing Day described as one of their busiest days ever. The capital is under a strict stay-at-home order. Doctors warn the next few weeks are critical. The lockdown on Sydney's northern beaches has been extended, but with special exemptions in place for New Year's Eve. Stay-at-home orders remain in place for the northern region until the 9th of January, but up to five local visitors will be allowed on the 31st. Restrictions for the southern region will remain until the 2nd of January, but households can welcome up to 10 visitors from the area on New Year's Eve. Sydney's iconic midnight fireworks display will go ahead, but foreshore viewing has been cancelled and nobody will be able to enter the CBD without a special pass. And households in Greater Sydney can have up to 10 visitors and outdoor gatherings have also been reduced to 50 people. Joining me now is epidemiologist Professor Mike Tall. Good morning to you, Mike, and thanks for your time. Uh, firstly, what do you make of these morning, New Eddie. Year's Eve restrictions that have just been announced? Are they tough enough to keep the virus under control? Well, I think the restrictions on New Year's Eve celebrations are appropriate. Um, no gatherings greater than 10 in the home and a restriction on outdoor gatherings. However, I'm concerned about one issue, and that is that people can still go to a pub where there may be up to 300 people in the venue. Now, I understand the four square metre rule, but that's an average. So. A pub with floor space of, say, 1,200 square metres can have 300 people. Now, the Premier was very clear uh, about advising people not to mingle, not to hug, not to kiss, not to sing. But as you know, after a few drinks, come midnight, I'd hate to be that bartender trying to stop people from singing Old Lang Syne. So that, that is of some concern. Yeah, it certainly creates a big task for those COVID safety officers, doesn't it? Well, people with bookings can still attend venues in the CBD if they have a New Year's Eve pass. You can, you can see it from the government's perspective. They're trying to strike a distance between hospitality businesses have really done it tough this year at a really busy time of year. Do you think indoor gatherings are just too risky at this stage? I think they are. We all know that there was a so-called super spreading event at 
uh, at least at the Avalon Bowling Club and maybe at the Avalon RSL. So we know it can happen. And um, I, I just think the risk is too great. Um, I'm not going to tell the Premier what to do, but I would think uh, consideration of greater restrictions on indoor venues would be wise. And of course, the other thing is mask wearing. I think you know, we've proven um, around the world, but including in Melbourne, that wearing masks or mandating masks increases the number of people who wear them. Um, in Melbourne, before they were mandated, it was around 43%. And after they were mandated, it went up to 97%. And we know that reduces spread, particularly in public transport and indoor uh, venues where you just can't uh, safely or you can't socially distance. And as we saw in Victoria, I mean, habits very quickly change. People very quick to adopt mandatory marks. They got used to them, didn't they? The government says its coronavirus vaccine plans are ahead of schedule. Should we be rolling it out earlier than March, given what's happened in the northern beaches? Yeah, I'm not quite sure what they mean by ahead of schedule. Um, if that means that the vaccines have arrived, along with the equipment that has to keep the um, Pfizer vaccine at minus 70 uh, Celsius, then yes, I see no reason um, why we shouldn't start vaccinating the most vulnerable. And I personally would start with the frontline workers in hotel quarantine, because we know that's where the virus is leaking into the country. Well, they're saying they want to under-promise and over-deliver, so hopefully that timeline will be moved forward. Thank you so much for your time yes. this morning. Now, everyone travelling into Sydney after 5pm on New Year's Eve will need to apply for a special pass. The CBD and parts of the northern foreshore will be fenced off in a green zone with police and security outside every gate. So people can apply for the New Year's Eve pass if they are a resident or going to, be, or going to a registered event in the area, but everyone else will be turned away. So joining us now is New South Wales Customer Service Minister Victor Dominello. Good morning to you, Victor. Uh, how many people Good can apply? apply for this New Year's Eve pass and if you're a resident perhaps with no New Year's Eve plans but live in this area do you need one as well? You, If you're a resident in that green zone you will still need a pass but if you're going to invite guests you will need to register and then ensure that uh, you nominate those guests so that they can then go and get their own pass to get in. Okay and, and Victor how does it work for couples and families and friends? Does every person need a pass or can couples and families share the same one? Now, adults will need to get a pass, but they can then nominate uh, dependents, uh, people, your children under the age of 16. But it's really simple to get a pass. You just simply go to the Service New South Wales website. You must do it by 5pm tomorrow because we've got to have a cut-off time. Uh, then download the pass and, and away you go. So what if you lose your pass? Should you print it out or you don't have a mobile phone perhaps? If you don't have a mobile phone, you can print out your QR code. Uh, there are 10 gates that will be uh, policed and in those 10 gates there will be service staff there to assist just in case you've lost your pass, but you must pre-register though. Okay. Uh, Victor, just changing topic slightly, from the 1st of January it'll be mandatory for all hospitality and hairdressers to use the Service New South Wales QR code app. Now, what's brought this about? Well, we're finding that uh, those businesses that were using their own QR code uh, system were not accurate. They weren't getting the information uh, to health as fast as necessary. So as the Minister for Health said yesterday, uh, using the service QR code is far faster and it enables the uh, contact tracers to do their job far more efficiently. 
And if we want to save lives, if we want to keep the economy open, uh, then we're, we're asking businesses to make sure that they download the QR code from Service New South Wales and it's mandatory come 1 uh, January for hospitality venues and for uh, hairdressing salons. Minister, is that soon enough because you're going to have all these people going to pubs and, and clubs and, and lots of different hospitality venues on New Year's Eve mixing with hundreds of other people but not using the Service New South Wales app? Well, we've still got the... We've already moved across from the paper system to the digital form, but we're giving businesses enough time from 1 January to make sure that they come across to the service QR system. And can I say, anecdotally, I've already been around to a lot of venues and that there already has been mass adoption of the service QR system. Yes. All right, Victor, thanks for that. Appreciate it. it is, it's a better system, is that? You, know, you go into one place, it's just great to make this whole system uniform. Yeah, and I think you know, from next year, we'll be so used to checking in and, and yeah. doing the right thing that hopefully it'll make it a lot easier for contact tracers. A fourth checkpoint on the Queensland-New South Wales border could be announced as early as today in hopes it will ease traffic delays. It comes as new data shows the extensive wait times at the border are actually boosting the crippled tourism industry. Some wait times have been as long as three hours, which has seen Queenslanders ditch trying to cross state lines and holiday at home instead. For more, I'm joined by Queensland Police Chief Superintendent Mark Wheeler, who is at the border. Uh, it has been a major operation for your officers there? Yeah, good morning, Angie. It certainly has. Uh, due to the rapidly evolving situation, we did have to stand up those border checkpoints and also enact the uh, border closure in a, in a short period of time. So currently our three checkpoints are operating and we're uh, seeking to implement a fourth checkpoint on Mile Street. Final plans are in place and we're just going through um, our rostering arrangements now. So do you expect to announce that at some stage today? Yeah, look, I anticipate uh, we will look at extra, uh, very early in the new year that we will have that uh, checkpoint operational. We want to open it up as soon as we can, but I'd like everyone to bear in mind that when we closed the borders on the 26th of March, it was actually two months until we opened that checkpoint. So this is day seven of the operation. Uh, and an incredibly challenging time of the year. Uh, we also are seeing a, a larger volume of traffic coming through than we've seen all year. Uh, there's already been 543,000 border declaration passes applied for online and we've had to turn around over 690 people at our borders in just over a week. 690, so some people still trying to cross illegally. Are the majority of people doing the right thing though? Look, the majority of people are, but uh, there's, there's certainly time and effort going in uh, by our police and partner agencies at those checkpoints uh, to help people on the side of the road and to explain to them uh, what the rules are. I, I would really encourage people to go online before they come to Queensland, though. If you've been in New South Wales anywhere in the last 14 days, you must complete a border pass. If you've been in a hotspot in the last 14 days, that's the hotspot of Greater Sydney, you are not eligible to come into Queensland by a road. Okay, Chief Superintendent Mark Wheeler, thanks very much for your time this morning. A Liberal MP is calling for backpackers who partied on New South Wales beaches during the COVID-19 outbreak to be deported. Now, hundreds of people were seen partying on Bronte Beach on Christmas Day in defiance 
of public health orders. Authorities have condemned the gathering, but no arrests were made. Meanwhile, similar scenes played out on the north coast of the state, where a group of 300 backpackers trashed a beach near Byron Bay. Joining us now is Liberal MP and local member for the Northern Beaches, Jason Felinski. Good morning to you, Jason. Thanks for your time. These people obviously did the wrong thing. We just heard that from the New South Wales Police Minister. Do you really think, though, that backpackers should be deported? And what about people in this crowd who are Australian citizens? What consequences should they face? Uh, look, Eddie, that's a great question. Um, you know, what we saw overnight was a number of people on the northern beaches who didn't obey health, public, public health orders, who went to weddings, for example, where they socially distanced and did everything right, but they didn't obey the public health orders. They've been fined $1,000. Um, people who breached these public health orders needed to be fined and need to be held to account. I mean, I come from a community that's pretty angry about this stuff. We have people who spent Christmas Day on their own, people in their 70s and 80s who couldn't see their families. You know, one in two adults up here have made sure that they've gone and get, got COVID testing. So I, I suppose my community is pretty angry when they see 300 people congregating at Bronte and when they're asked to move on, they won't. And mm -hmm. I was, you know, Brad Hazard was asked about this. He said it was a matter for the federal government. And I think I'm reflecting basically the feelings in my community on this issue. Yeah, and Jason, you can understand that, but I guess restrictions are evolving all the time and it, it can be difficult sometimes for people to keep up with, with what's evolving and changing with the rules. Can you appreciate that? Oh, Brett, I absolutely appreciate that. I mean, the number, that's why the first thing that Kerry Chance says every day at her briefings is, can you please go to the website and see if you've been to one of the venues that's always evolving. This is a difficult situation we've had over overnight. So yesterday, 100 people gathering publicly was okay. Today, it's only 50 in the rest of Sydney. In the Northern Beaches, it's five and 10, depending what part of the Northern Beaches you are from. But when the police ask you to move on and you decide not to, I think that's a different level. And look, those people at the wedding, I think, were the exception to the rule. I mean, most people in the northern beaches, both the northern and the southern part, are doing the right thing. Jason, how's everyone going there? Because this is such a tough time on businesses. Normally, this is their, their busiest time of year, particularly where you are at Manly. Yeah, look, I've spoken to a lot of businesses over the last week or so. All of them, are, are, you know, are doing it tough. Um, this year's been OK for them. It hasn't been as bad as they thought it would be. They just want to get back to business and that's why it's so important that everyone does their bit to make sure that this lockdown um, is lifted as quickly as possible. So when you see the sort of scenes that you see at Bronte like you did last week or over the last few days, that's why a lot of people get very angry because it's their livelihoods on the line. It's not just a, it's not, we're not playing games here, it's, it's you know, a lot of people are hanging by a thread. Mm. And Jason, you're down there on, on the ground. Uh, the southern part of the northern beaches, restrictions are gently easing sort of day by day at the moment. When should the southern part of those northern beaches reopen, do you think? Oh, Brett, I think when the health experts who have access to the health data, and you know, the New South Wales Department of Health throughout this year has demonstrated that it, at a, globally, they have managed this um, pandemic better than virtually anyone else in the world, if not in the world. So when Kerry Chant and her team of contact tracers are able to say, look, we can safely relax these restrictions again, that's when we should do it and not before. Um, it's, it's a tough call to make. I, I mean, I'm glad I'm not making this call but they have shown throughout 2020 that they've managed to get the balance right. Yeah, and it's a really hard balance to achieve, isn't it? Jason Flinsky, thank you so much for your time and our thoughts are with everyone in the northern part of the yeah. northern beaches and also in the southern part of the northern beaches Tough at the time. moment.
Now, there's some good news this morning with Federal Health Minister Greg Hunt confirming that Australia is on track to receive a COVID vaccine ahead of schedule. However, Mr Hunt said he wants to under-promise and then over-deliver, so Aussies shouldn't expect to get the jab until at least March. But attention now turns to the safety and risks associated with getting the jab, which has been pushed out in record time. So for more, we're joined by expert clinical virologist Professor Tony Cunningham from the Westmead Institute. Professor, good morning to you. The, the Health Minister said yesterday that the Pfizer vaccine will likely be the first to be approved here in Australia, but the Oxford vaccine will be rolled out next week in the UK. So which is the better option for us? So it, it's very difficult to say, um, given that we haven't had head-to-head comparisons of, of the uh, two vaccines. Um, they both have exceeded the, uh, uh, the benchmarks that have been set by regulatory authorities around the world, that is uh, in the USA, Europe and the UK. And the, um, uh, the, the Pfizer vaccine certainly is 90 to 95%, 95% effective. Uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine or Oxford vaccine is... Uh, 70% overall, but with one dosing regimen, it reaches 90%. We have to remember that all of these um, results are interim analyses and that um, because of the emergency, they've received what's called emergency use authorizations uh, around the world at the stage. So direct comparisons, we don't have those yet, but uh, they certainly exceed uh, by some distance the benchmarks set by the regulatory agencies. And uh, that's a great relief compared with what we thought might be facing us earlier on. Yeah, it certainly is. Professor, some people are worried that corners have perhaps been cut to push out these vaccines faster. We're very lucky here in Australia and that we can sort of watch the rollout elsewhere. Is that a legitimate concern? I know initially with the UK trials, they discovered that people with existing allergies might have a, a slight reaction. Yeah, I, I think um, this is certainly a very unusual uh, situation. We have seen in pandemic flu vaccines rolled out in nine months, but uh, to have vaccines rolled out essentially from the start of the last phase of trials in six months is unusual. And this is why the regulatory agencies have been very careful to also set, set benchmarks, not just for efficacy, but also for safety. And they've said, we want to see at least two months data on every participant. Uh, and the reason we have these late stage trials is we trial 30,000 people or more, the case of Pfizer, 43,000 people. And that's standard for vaccine trials. Now, one has to remember that there are certain people who are excluded uh, from these trials and those with severe allergy are excluded. So in the case of the uh, Pfizer vaccine, um, some of the people with a tendency to severe allergy uh, obviously come back into the mix mm. when the general populace uh, is, uh, is immunised. Yeah. In general, though, these vaccines appear to be very safe indeed. And, of course, there's always ongoing monitoring and we will have a choice yeah. between different types of vaccines yeah. which may affect people in different ways. Some good news for us there. Professor, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it.